In this episode, I'm joined by four of the female stars of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Here's Pompe Clementief and Vanessa Kirby. So we, get, we kept joking about, like, we're really not the, the girlfriend type in the movies. are quite the opposite. I don't think anyone would come near the pair of them potentially in that way. You know, that's rare. That's rare. It's been years and years and years of reading scripts where women in these kind of movies are sort of looking hot or something. They're still hot, but, like, a different way, you know? They don't need to, like, take off their clothes. Well, no, or, it's in your power. You know, it's I think just it's in power. the power that you exude. Is and like, they're, like, they have their own agency. I also talked to Anna Korinek and Susanna Fogel in this week's Bumper Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith. And today I'm first joined by the wonderful Susanna Fogel, who's worked on films such as Booksmart and The Spy Who Dumped Me. She's also an exec producer and a director on the miniseries A Small Light, which stars Belle Powley as a Dutch woman who sheltered Anne Frank's family during World War II. So welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. We are a feminist film podcast and we like to have fun, so we are huge fans of your work. Ah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's why you dumped me, book smart, big thank fan. You. Obviously, this is um, a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I've seen the first episode. I love it. Um, and to me, it's very interesting from a gender perspective. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to start with that mm-hmm. and ask you what appealed to you about that side of it. Well, I think just the idea that Meep is an everyman who happens to be a woman. I mean, she's a progressive woman, but it's not a story about a woman standing up to men that don't think she can do what men can do, which is what so many period pieces about women are about. They're just about a woman fighting sexism. They're not about a woman doing something that transcends that and being just sort of a hero in her own story. So, yeah, I like the idea of telling an every man story from a female perspective. Basically. An every woman's story. A- every woman's story. Yeah. 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 Um, she's such a terrific character. Yeah, she's great. Um, and again, we love to celebrate complex female characters. And mm-hmm. then there are many different sides to her, which I feel yeah. that having seen the first episode, I'm beginning to start to see. What did you love about those complexities? I mean, I love the idea that she's a flawed character in the sense that she doesn't always do or say the right thing. She has this feminism that's sometimes misguided in the sense that she doesn't always make good choices from a place of being a good partner to her new husband. Sometimes she does things without consulting him because she doesn't want to be tied down, but ultimately he sort of pushes back and says, I'm not trying to oppress you, I just want to be considered, which I think is is an interesting and layered, you know, look at a woman who's a feminist, but also, you know, has this real relationship with somebody who does appreciate her, but also you know, she, she has this coming-of-age story as a strong woman that I think is really interesting. Um, and some of her flaws are related to a binary way of thinking that I think she grows out of as she goes through this experience in her 20s, which is a good time to grow out of that. I mentioned what you said about that, about the, the feminism and sometimes 
th that inner confusion about making the right decision. Am I standing up for myself or yeah. am, I, am I overreacting or am I, am I you know, doing the right thing? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will relate to that feeling. Yeah, I think there's this trend toward making women iconically strong in this way that I think it's I think it's misguided because it just denies us any vulnerability or emotions. And that's no better for us than like princess in the castle waiting to be saved. It's all versions of just not deep, not dimensional women. So I like that Meep gets to do all of the things. She gets to be a hero at moments, even though she didn't want to be called that. She gets to be, you know, a wife, a daughter, a friend. She's all of those things. So I love that. Yeah, I saw that she said she didn't want to be called a hero because anyone, she thinks everyone should you yeah. know, do the kindness that she yeah. did. Um, yeah. Can you talk to me about your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because we're promoting this story about her because what she did was extraordinary. But at the same time, a lot of people didn't do what she did, and then a lot of people did do what she did. And hers is the story that we know because it was adjacent to Anne Frank's story. But ironically, what makes me special is the thing that she didn't want to have be emphasized, which is that she doesn't really want to be considered special. More, more than anything, she has... Um, just this optimistic drive to try to help people. And her instinct is to say yes over and over to these people who need her, which I think is is a really wonderful thing. And she kind of has that, well, yeah, you know, wouldn't everybody do this? And there's something really refreshing about that perspective, especially at a time that we're all, we all have the option of disengaging and not participating and changing the world around us. And we could choose to do something or not do something many times a day. Me, what I'm asking you to do is dangerous. If you get caught, you could get arrested or even worse. I need your help hiding my family. You need to take your time to think it through. No, I don't. What do I do? Yeah, it does feel like stories like this are especially important at the moment. Do you feel, as, as a writer and director, drawn to things that kind of highlight that compassion? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely drawn to projects that highlight something in the cultural conversation of some kind. So my last few and next few projects all share that as well. You know, I, I just finished a movie about a political whistleblower that's based on a, a real person, and it calls into question the idea of what patriotism is. Is it patriotic to go along with what your country tells you to do or not, which is relevant to this as well? Or is it more important to speak out at whatever the cost? So I was drawn to that for similar reasons. I just think it's asking a, it's asking an interesting question and leaving people to ask a question of themselves and whoever they watched it with when they leave. So the question of this is, what would I do? And are there moments in my life or situations in my life where I could or would do that or can do that now? Or just look up from my phone and engage more. And it feels like cat person also, which I've yeah, seen. Yeah, and that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we'll talk about that hopefully in a future episode of Girls yeah, on Film, sure. I'm a fan of that one. Sure. Um, but let's talk about the casting for this, because Belle is just extraordinary and she seems so perfect. She's wonderful. I mean, I've been a fan of hers for a long time and she was our first person we approached when we knew the show was getting made. Yeah, we wanted somebody who's a bit of a blank canvas, somebody who could be funny, real, emotional, but not someone who's just one thing or another, just because Meep is, is complex and we just need needed somebody who sort of can do it all and Belle really can. And she has an every girl quality about her. She has a luminosity to her too. That is why she's an actress and most of us are not. But she brings that, but within this package that feels very like real, relatable. She could be your best friend. So she's very watchable because she feels like, you know, there's nothing stuffy about her. So she feels like someone you'd want to drop into a piece that maybe genre wise would be 
people would assume would be stiff, and it's just not with her. Yeah, she's very vibrant, isn't she? And she's very funny. And I think what might surprise people is that certainly some of this does see some, well, lightness in the dark, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, people had senses of humor back then, too. Yeah. I have a 102-year-old grandmother who's very funny, and she was funny in the 1940s also. You know, she didn't just become funny when she became an old lady. She was always kind of funny and wry and sarcastic. And people who deflect anxiety, fear, or just world events with humor is something that my community does. Um, like my friends and I, that's how we deal with everything from our elections to the news. You know, we're like, oh my God, this is terrible. And then someone makes an inappropriate joke about it. Or, you know, that's like how we deal with it all. So showing people who are naturally funny in a really serious high stakes situation where they don't cease to be themselves. It's just that they're sort of pushed in these different directions. Yeah, I mean, that that's interesting to me. Instead of every telling about this story being told from the perspective of someone who's incredibly serious about the highest of stakes every day, because in truth, they didn't know where this was going. So watching them just try to get through the day was felt truer to what their experiences would have been. What would you have me do when Mr. Frank asked? Say no! Ask me! I didn't think I had to consult you before deciding to save a person's life. Talk to me more about the, the crew that you had around you for this. Um, was there quite a lot of women involved? It was a mix. It was a real mix. There was another director who was a woman after me who did episodes four and five. We had a lot of women working on the crew. We had an incredible art director who was a woman who came to Prague with us. Even when we had male department heads, they tried to employ a lot of women and mentor them along the way, which is, I think, nice too. Like in a show about allies, it's like we had some really good male allies there. But yeah, it's it's always a challenge to have equality on sets in that way. But we, we really pushed for it wherever we we could. Do you think um, the rise of streaming services is making things better in terms of representation on and off screen in terms of opportunities, perhaps? Well, I do think that there's like a global reach that streaming services have. I mean, even just the fact that the Netflix algorithm recommends a lot of international shows to me that are not in English all the time. It's so that's not something that I would have necessarily had if I just had like cable TV. I wouldn't be offered like an Indian soap opera and a Nordic crime drama on cable, you know, normally. So I think it does expose people to the world, but at the same time, in terms of like behind the camera, I think there's still certain glass ceilings that we're trying to break. I think that for female directors, most of what they get sent is female content. And sometimes it's really compelling and amazing like this. A lot of times it's just, it's more standard boilerplate. Like it's a sort of a cynical feminist story. By cynical, I mean it's a group of men telling the story and making it a woman so that it can be in and then try to bring a female director on. It's like you can feel the cynicism of that. I'm just interested in great stories and I, I think if you're telling a human story, you know, I don't think that I wasn't able to tell Jan's story because I could only relate to Meep because Meep's a woman and I'm a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's like yeah, I'm interested in just telling great stories about people. I think we have a lot more in common in certain ways than we don't need to like split everybody up and silo everybody's experience in that way. It's like the hidden layers of sexism that still exist where it's mm -hmm. like I'll mostly get female driven content and I have to say, no, no, I just want good stories about people. and. But that's, I think it's a bit of an, yeah. Yeah, it's the same as a, as, a, as a film critic for years. I was only given the rom-coms to write about. And then you had to go, actually, I like sci-fi yeah. too, guys. Uh, it's, <laughs> it shouldn't, it's like, it's like an, it's a, such a deeply subconscious thing that people do, yeah. but they, they do it. I still get sent a lot of projects about babies and weddings and I'm not married and I don't have babies and I'm, you know, traveling the world making TV shows. I'm definitely not, <laughs> yeah. not the woman to do that. But, but that's, but I still get those Interesting. projects and I don't know that my male counterparts do. I bet they it, don't. You know, I'm like, yeah. why am I getting this? You know, I'm not offended, but I'm like, this is feels very 
I couldn't have proved more times that this isn't like my lane. But, Very true. You know, but I think that those things are, that's like the echoes of sexism, but. What's, what's your response when people, are you polite or do you actually sometimes point it out if people are offering you something? No, I mean, I'm grateful to have any yeah. job. Every artist was once a struggling artist. So I'm like, oh, just the idea that people are coming to me is, is like flattering and great. But I just notice it, you know. I just notice that if I pursue something that's a little out of the box, people are like, oh, it, it didn't occur to me. It, it didn't occur to them. It's not that they don't think I could. They just wouldn't have thought of me. And that's where the woman thing comes into play, I think, sometimes. Yeah, it's about challenging unconscious bias, isn't it? And I think that, that's definitely what it is. We yeah. all have it. And it's good to just, yeah, yeah. check ourselves and check other yeah. people. And, yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and that a lot of the stories about women that come to me or that are getting written, are they are specifically about women fighting sexism. Like, that's the challenge. It's the incredible true story of a woman who went up against the Supreme Court for this or a woman who wanted the right to that. And those are really important stories, but they're not all that we do. So yeah, I think feminism is like trying to get past all that. Yeah, no, very well said. Um, any final words about A Small Light for our listeners? Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I'm just like ranting and raving about it. No, Hollywood. I love it because it's very girls on film. But. <laughs> well, I remembered my audience. Um, I mean, I hope people watch this show. I hope they don't think it's like a musty period piece because it really isn't. It's a show about a 20-something girl who's going through a quarter-life crisis in a deeply historically intense time. And the stakes of her life are some really relatable stakes like fighting with her best friend, disappointing her mom, lying to her boyfriend, just kind of figuring out how to be a person. At the same time, the backdrop is like the highest stakes that there could possibly be in history. But it's all of it. And um, just getting through the day is, is as much what the show's about as it is about Nazis, you know? So I hope people watch it and see her as a relatable person for any generation. That was Susanna Fogel. You can watch all of A Small Light on Disney Plus now. My next guest is a programmer for the Karlovy Vary International Film Festival, Anna Korinek. Girls on Film will be recording a live panel at the festival at 11am on Monday the 3rd of July 2023. We'll be at kviff.tv park and will be sponsored by Magnum Ice Cream. Here's Anna Korinek. Anna, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's thank you for having us at Kalavivari this year. We are so excited to be bringing Girls on Film to the festival because I went last year, as you know, I had a great time. I thought it was a wonderful festival. But for the listeners who are not aware of it, can you tell us a bit more about Kalavivari International Film Festival? Sure. So Kalavivari, we are considering us as one of the oldest events in the Central Europe. The festival started in the 50s, of course, as a very propaganda thing for a communist regime. But since 1993, we turned off to the Liberty Festival to, do, to give a voices to the new filmmakers and to the young filmmakers. And we hope that we are still accomplishing this mission, this never-ending mission. What does your job in particular involve, Anna? Well, my job have uh, two parts. One part is programmer. I'm a programmer member of the selection committee, so I'm taking care for several territories. I'm a member of the selection committee, which is deciding about the final program. And the other part of my job is a program coordinator, which means that basically in a few words, I'm taking care of that the film are screened where there should be screened, the copies are, are delivered, and I'm coordinating uh, the team. And how many films do you tend to screen each year? Around 150 films. 
the feature-length films, and there are several shorts we are also including for some special programs. And it's available to the public as well as industry, isn't it? Can you explain a bit more how that works? We are still very proud to have the the, the festival being for the audience because uh, considering Cannes or Berlin, it's very difficult for the public audience to get to the screenings. So it's very important for us to give uh, audience or I don't know how to call it, casual viewers to have a chance to get a cinema and meet the current uh, voices from the cinema and everything. So we are still trying to trying to consolidate the situation that we, that we want industry people in the festival, but also the audience also. Yeah, last year I really enjoyed that I got to go to some screenings, which are obviously mostly press screenings, people like myself. And then I went some to something sort of quite quirky, interesting, different venues um, with mostly public. And you could see... Um, how unusual it was and how, how fun for it was for them to get to meet the filmmakers and to have a Q&A at the end. And there was a really good buzz about that. I really enjoyed that. That was great fun. Yeah, we really like it also. And it's a very uh, funny situation because it's happening to us very often that the filmmakers who are premiering their film in Cannes, they desperately want to Carly Varedan because this is the first place for them to show the films to the audience not only to the professionals, but to the audience. And the filmmakers are usually very happy to see the young people sitting in front of the cinema, waiting for the free space because they didn't uh, get a chance to have a ticket. So they are waiting in the queues to, for, to watch the films. So this is something we are really proud of and we want to keep on on this. Yes, people are really keen, aren't they? I love seeing them all queuing up and, and very, very patiently. And there were also, I like that walking down the street as well, sometimes I was seeing these big um, screens and people just in the street could get a sense of the festival without actually having to be in the room. It's great. Yeah, exactly. And this is also something which gives me a lot of energy uh, during the festival. Not only meeting the filmmakers uh, whose film we selected for the programs, but to see the full cinemas full of people who are watching the films, which they would normally wouldn't have a chance to watch. And then they have a chance to discuss with the filmmakers, which is I consider very important for both sides. So this is something which gives me a lot of energy to see the full cinema full of people to have a chance to think or they are maybe a little bit forced to think which is also uh, always very nice apart from that what would you say is one of the best things about your job well <laughs> i'm paid for watching films which is a very nice <laughs> part of this job but i still like this mission that uh, we have the power to help some um, let's say disadvantaged part of the world for example Iran or Middle East or now Ukraine, that we are living in a free country and we are able to bring filmmakers and their films and we can give them the liberty to speech, which maybe they are not allowed to do so in their own countries. So this is um, something I consider very important to help from the position of free country to help the ones who are not so lucky to be free in their own countries. Can you tell me so far a little bit more about what we can expect from the program this year especially from a female perspective so maybe i will start with uh, i can continue with this uh, mission of the festival uh, this year we have a special program called another bird iranian cinema 
here, here and now. And there are eight Iranian films selected. It's all the films uh, which are not allowed to be screened in Iran, and we are bringing them to Czech Republic to show them. And there are very strong two female voices in this retrospective. There is a film called Dreamsgate by Tendegin Ahmadi. It's a very, it's a very brave girl who just take the camera and go to the girls' soldiers who are fighting the ISIS soldiers, and she spend the time with them to just follow their strength. And there is another film, The Locas, but Feze Arkadi, and she's also one of the female directors in the in Iran. And both of them will come to Karlovy Vary to, to introduce their films. We are also happy to welcome Christine Vachon. It's a completely another part of the world. She is a famous producer from US, the independent one, who helped to queer cinema to be born, to the female cinema to be born. She is a producer of the film such as Poison or Velvet Goldmine by Todd Haynes. So it's also a very strong woman in the film industry. So we are happy to have her to talk about her perspective on producing films and sure we have a lot of young uh, upcoming filmmakers female ones who are coming across the program it would be a long list to name them right now well some of those will be on stage with us at girls on film which is wonderful we've already had christine on the podcast um she came on um when we were in rotterdam and she was terrific very fun and as you say just a real powerhouse um, but I do remember from last year as well, um, the pleasure of meeting up and coming sort of young actresses and female filmmakers. So I'm looking forward to speaking to them as well. Um, now, you've mentioned that people, if people are in Kalavivari, they can buy tickets. So if you happen to be able to take a holiday to Czech Republic, guys, come and join us, come and see us. But also, um, other than listening to the girls on film, is there a way for our listeners to follow the festival remotely, say they're in the UK or the States? If they're not going, will you have any sort of online presence that they can follow? Sure, we can, we have Instagram channel, we have TikTok channel, we have Facebook uh, channel, so they can follow us on the social medias. We have a Quiff TV, K-V-I-F-F dot TV, and there are live streams from the festival, from the Q&As, from the introductions, from masterclasses. This is a definitely part uh, for the ones who are coming, uh, not, who are not able to come to the festival to be part of it uh, remotely. And on the Quiff TV, there are several films to be screened from the program right after the festival or, yeah, so they can follow us via Quiff TV. That's great. So people can be part of it either way. And um, is there anything else you wanted to share with the listeners about this year's festival in particular? Well... I would say them to come, but we are not, if they are not able just to follow us and maybe they will decide to come later. And if there are some listeners or viewers in between them and they are filmmakers to encourage them to submit their film to our festival or to get in touch with us. Because we are trying to have a very personal approach to the filmmakers. So even if they need some advice, we are always here to help. That's wonderful. So you're fostering new challenge. And um, you mentioned, obviously, all the wonderful female-focused stuff. Um, I know it's hard to speak for the festival as a whole, but do you think, is your hope that you'll continue to have more and more um, female filmmakers showing at the festival in future? Exactly. 
this is our mission because not only because the majority of the selection committee are women, so it's our personal interest to do so. But yeah, uh, we as a females, we need this support. I think that it's very important to just support us in between each other. So, for example, I would add that we have a very stable program called Future Frames, the generation next of European cinema. It's then selected filmmakers, students, who we are introducing to the film industry and helping them to make this first step. Each year they have a mentor. And for example, this year we are happy to have Aniska Smoczynska, the Polish female director, who started with her first film in Sundance. Then she went with her other film to Cannes and the other one was also in Cannes in a certain regard. She managed to have a US agent and everything. So yeah, we are also following this raising female voices and bringing them to Karlo Vivari just to, for them to give them the chance to pass their experience to the young ones. So also we are circling with... Uh, experienced female directors to influence the younger generation. Fantastic. Support is what it's all about and it's what we believe in here. And thank you so much, Anna, for for your support. I can't wait to see you in person very soon. Yes, please. So we'll we'll put in our show notes all the details of how people can find out more about the festival. And um, we'll be back soon with our special episode from Kalavivari. Thank you so much, Anna. Perfect. See you there very soon. See you there. That was Anna Koronek. My final guests all star alongside Tom Cruise in the new film Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. They're Hayley Atwell, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby and Pom Clementieff. First up, here's Hayley, who plays a character who's new to the franchise called Grace. Welcome. Thank Welcome you. to Girls on Film. I'm so glad you're a fan. I can't believe I'm actually here. It's a real <laughs> privilege to talk with you. I love the tone of the podcast and I think you have such interesting and intelligent people on that I'm like always learning something from it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And that's, of course, why we you have invited you on as an interesting <laughs> and intelligent person. Um, and congratulations on the film. I mean, what a role yeah, and you. what a performance. Thank um, you. Obviously, as you know, I would love to speak to you about this from a gender perspective. Yeah. So what interested you about this? role on paper and I'd love to know also how you developed it too. Yeah so and I'm so pleased that we get to have this conversation because this, we absolutely can make it about gender for sure. The There was no script initially that I read. They said they don't have, this is McHugh and Tom, they don't have a character that they're looking for someone to fit into. They're looking for the actor they want to work with first and then we together, the three of us, create that character in real time. And Macquarie had come to see a play that I did 10 years ago on the stage in the West End called The Pride. And he came up to me afterwards and he went, that thing that you do, I, I want to put it in a film and in a story. I don't know how and I don't know what that is yet. And so cut to then six years later and I'm doing a screen test with him and Tom. And Tom, I've met and auditioned for Tom a couple of times. He is very interested in giving power back to the his, his actor and his co-star. He's very engaged and present and he's working out what you need from him so that you feel most in demand and control of the choices that you're making. So it's very liberating because you also don't feel like you're being judged. And so even in the screen test, I had this sense of autonomy and I would go, oh, shall I try one where she's actually withholding everything? The, everything she's saying is actually a complete lie. Now shall I try one where it feels more open and she's more vulnerable because she doesn't actually know if she's convincing with what she's actually saying. And so the conversation felt like a collaboration 
And as we went along, you know, my character didn't have a name for a long time. We were trying lots of different things. And I think because of my theatre background, I'm used to trying a line delivery 10 different ways and seeing what feels is most landing for the audience, but also for my co-star. And so then taking that into a Mission Impossible franchise, you'd think, well, that's that surely it can't be like that, but it is. And it was really important to me that Grace was not one thing, that we're gonna elevate her from the femme fatale, the slick, cool, ice queen, ingenue, damsel in distress, that she was gonna have self-assurance, but then she was gonna have a lot of self-doubt, that she was gonna be out of her depth, and she's gonna be completely in control, that she was longing for connection and friendship, but she was then terrified of friendship and was like hyper-independent. And all of these then gave me a sort of a, an emotional journey underneath. I love that. As you know, we celebrate complex female characters and realistic female characters. And what I enjoyed watching this film is that I could relate in some way to all the female characters. And that certainly helps me to engage more with a movie, especially an action movie. Mm. And I like that we see your character very apparently in control at the beginning. And then there's a, a very comedic but also exciting scene with a car um, in which she doesn't want to drive and who can blame her in those circumstances. Yeah. Um, so I love those vulnerabilities relative you know, to, to the genre. Um, what else did you find refreshing? Well, I found a lot of things refreshing about your character, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. I love that it didn't occur to me until afterwards that at no stage in the process did I feel objectified. And that's from the costumes to the way that I was directed to to how Tom is. Tom loves seeing people thrive and being in the fullness of their own power. And he, he's like looking to see as a producer, what is, what is that talent and, that, and how can we bring it out so it, you know, it lights up the screen. And one thing that I, you know, in retrospect, when I, we're, we're drifting on the streets of Rome and at one point Tom's the one that's in the passenger seat and we're handcuffed together. And literally and metaphorically, being in a passenger seat is not something that Tom Cruise probably actively seeks out, let's be honest. <laughs> and in, on that day, you know, in Rome, he ceded power and trusted me to do that. And his life was in my hands. Now I'd had five months of training with top stunt people and race car drivers in the world. So I was competent at what I was doing. And I also had to know that I could perform as Grace, who was more reckless and not knowing, but yet Haley could be in control. And Tom trusted me in that. There is a sense that there is no right or wrong. There's no judgment, there are just choices. And we're gonna see what's gonna land. And that for me felt incredibly refreshing as a process, but then also to watch it. You know, you're making it up as you go along, you know, and, and there are moments where you get to improvise and you know, the, the train where Ethan's going, do you trust me? And I, I just went, no, but, but yeah. You know, I can, I can be the full scrappiness of those moments and have a lot of courage, but then also a lot of fear and panic at the same time without trying to push for the cuteness of that or to force it in a farcical way or to, or to be like, oh, isn't it funny that she's not good at something? No, it's, it's funny because she's trying. She's trying and she's having a human experience as she's trying. People are chasing us. Yes, they are. You're driving. Who is that person? I have no idea. What do you think has changed in broader film culture that we're now at this moment? I mean, obviously that's a long conversation and ones that we have a lot on the podcast, but do you have you sort of noticed or felt a shift, particularly in action films, where now that is what you're talking about is hopefully starting to become the norm rather than the exception to the rule? What I'm seeing the change from just my own personal lived experiences is that the 
conversations are changing. That there there is a people are articulate about the nuances of this changing landscape and about female representation and also just representation of the the hero in general and of course we go through trends of liking the anti-hero but I think overall what feels I've most participated in is my own awakening my own understanding of my own earlier days of feeling objectified or going oh it seemed my currency felt more a bit like this and they were the roles I seemed to get and therefore they, that was the kind of version of myself I knew that I could keep playing up to and not knowing what I didn't know, not knowing that I, had, I didn't have the words for that, I didn't have the language for it. But you're feeling part of a collective conversation where you go, oh, I know what that is. And then, you know, I remember talking to Deborah Francis White recently and she was saying, apart from the Bechdel test, which we all know, she was talking about the fun killer test. Do you know that one? No, I don't. Tell me. Love this one. Oh my God. This makes so much sense. And I apply it now when I'm reading, reading scripts. So she said, well, the fun killer test is you'll often have in a, in a, a big film, if you have your male protagonist and a female beside, beside that person, they're often like the moral compass, the spiritually evolved human, the woman that goes, don't go off to war. We love you just as the way you are. Stay home. She doesn't pass. A, she's a, she's the fun killer. Because if you then go, all right, if the movie and our hero was to do what the woman said, would it kill the film? And if the answer is yes, that woman's the fun killer and therefore she's not the heart of the movie and she's not the thing that's going to accelerate the actual momentum of the thing. But it's disguised in the name of going, isn't she good, you know? Isn't she like, oh, she really understands. I, no, she's, she's killing the action. That is a great one. Thank you for sharing that with me and the listeners. Um, and that brings me on to the comedy that you participate in because, of course, that's a really important part of this series and all too often we've seen women being sort of as you describe, but, you know, the straight woman or the, the serious character, but you get to have fun and to be funny. Talk to me a bit about yeah. that. We watched... Our references for those, those that scene was um, Paper Moon and What's Up Doc and um, The Sting. There's some of those 70s heist movies, Thomas Crown Affair, His Girl Friday, uh, To Catch a Thief, and Buster Keaton as well, and for the train sequence. And finding, just having those in mind when you're looking at sort of tonally what you're searching for, not trying to push for, reach for, for too much. You want it to kind of feel like it's within the given circumstances and have a, has a degree of truth to it. That meant that I could see Tom, as he was developing Ethan's vulnerability in those moments, become very endearing. And we're going, oh, we're liking Ethan more because he's kind of embarrassed. You know, that whole sequence in the Rome car chase, Simon Pegg watched it and he was just like, oh, that's premature ejaculation. That's a, a great metaphor for that because it's so funny when he immediately takes off in the Fiat 500 and immediately crashes it and is going, I'm sorry, this doesn't usually happen. I'm not, this is, I can't. And she's just going, it's okay, it's, you know, it's okay. And having those kind of, those little moments of levity, and but also trying to fit it into a action-packed sequence that needs pace and momentum and pressure the whole time. So you've got to kind of earn those moments of levity, but not feel like it's actually going to distract from the sequence in total in terms of the energy that it needs to be. So it's, a, it's extraordinary how they, they can facilitate all of that, the musicality of it. And that scene struck me as well that it's about male vulnerability and that's perhaps something we wouldn't have seen in previous action films quite so much. Yeah. You know, the hero yeah. admitting or be allowing himself to be the butt of the joke there a wee bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, Tom is so comfortable in who he is and funny and has an actual comedic timing just in everyday life. And he is not thinking about 
what are the ways that I can make myself look good in this? He's going, what are the, what, are, what would the audience like? And so that's how he is a true artist in the sense that he's not, in that moment, he's kind of going, well, it's Ethan Hunt, he can do everything. But he's going, ah, having Ethan Hunt being undermined by Fiat 500, I think the audience would like that. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see because it shows, I think it shows in him a real sort of dynamic where he's being able to access different facets of who he is and who his character is. There's a lot to celebrate with this film, um, but in general, in action films, where do you think we need to be going um, from a feminist perspective mm -hmm. to improve matters? In terms of action, it has, to be, it has to be women that we see ourselves reflected back in. It has to be women that feel nuanced, but they don't have that general cover of whatever the buzzword is that day. So I'm hearing, I have heard, we all have for a long time, like, strong. And you go, well, there are also lots of different ways that strength manifests itself. You can have strength by being defiant, but you can have strength by fighting back. So what does that mean? So we're looking for nuance and more specificity in those kind of conversations as you're working through what a story is doing and what is it saying. And you're going, if this person is morally strong, does that also actually just mean that you're a fun killer? And how can you have a journey that feels plausible and that feels true to the human condition, but that also elevates it from a genre? And I think great action should be doing that, should feel character-driven as opposed to just a set piece that feels fun to watch. We've, we've got to be emotionally connected to the characters and care about them to want to follow what they're doing in terms of action. Totally agree. And what about older women? Where do you think we're going with that? Well, I just love the fact that here I am, credited second in position to Tom Cruise, the biggest action film I've ever done and likely ever will, and I'm 41. You know, I, I think that that's not to say that like, oh, well, therefore Hollywood has changed. No, I know I'm still regard, in that regard an exception to the rule, but I'm hearing and I'm seeing older women, there's still not enough of them, but they are having an extraordinary renaissance moment or they're coming into their own later on in life and having leading roles that they didn't get when they're in their 20s or their 30s. But what I think what you're also seeing is women knowing now that they've become more interesting as they get older and be becoming more interested in the world. You know, it's so easy when you're in your teens and your 20s to be totally self-consciously self-interested because you're working out who you are. So it's very much about how does the world see me because I will need that validation. Like, is this okay? That's very normal when you're younger. And then as you get older, I think there is just such a sense of ease and dynamism that women are, are infinitely more interesting as they get older. You know, there's brilliant other brilliant podcast which is the um julia julia louis dreyfus one about wiser than me where she interviews all the women and i just think how fantastic because it's not that it's like oh wow how refreshing older women can do things you're like no no how refreshing that this is becoming more mainstream and the more we see of women doing that the more we're showing younger women that they too can do that and grow into that and not to be anti-aging but to be pro-aging Totally agree. Thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. It really has been such yeah. a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Real pleasure. Lovely to oh meet God, you. God, I might have been on the podcast. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hayley Atwell. Here's Pom Clementieff, who you'll know from Guardians of the Galaxy, and Vanessa Kirby. The latter has been on Girls on Film before, in Ep 65, when she talked about her work in Pieces of a Woman and The Crown. Well, welcome to you both to Girls on Film. And may I say congratulations on both your performances. Thoroughly enjoyed them. Brilliant. As you know, Vanessa, we like to talk about what things are a bit different in Girls on Film and celebrate the wins for women. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to speak to you both. Let's start with you, Pom, about what you found refreshing about the female characters in this film in particular. 
I mean, first of all, I was a huge fan of Vanessa and also Rebecca Ferguson in the movie, and I thought they were such incredibly powerful characters,、um, and both so different. And I think my character brings something also different, you know, something a little bit like punk, you know, rebel.、Um, even with the outfits, you know, it's completely different. You know, it's not classic at all. You know, she's a little bit grunge. You know, yeah, it was so much fun to 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 play this character, and also, you know, she's kind of like a lone wolf, you know, and she plays by her own rules. And even if she works with Gabriel, who is played by Isai Morales. She's still by herself, you know. She rides solo, like she's like a cowboy, but ready to just draw her gun and fight any time. <laughs> yeah, I found that really refreshing and quite exciting as well.、Um, Vanessa, talk to me a little bit. I mean, obviously, you've been in the franchise before.、Um, in terms of building on that and building on your character from a gender perspective, did anything particularly interest you? Yeah, I think it's it was amazing to know that I had Vanessa Redgrave as in, as. I mean, to study as being my character's mother in the very first mission years ago, thirty years ago now, and to see even then, we've obviously spoken so much about how much is beginning to change for women in cinema. But to have Vanessa play someone kind of seductive, but also、uh, frightening and unpredictable and charming, but at any minute could potentially kill you. You know, that was rare without using something overtly objectifying or sexual, or you know, essentially toying with him. And they have this really beautiful kind of intimate moment in the back of the car,、um, and between them, there's a, a relationship that's built that isn't about.、Um, Yeah, sexuality at all, and I think that's rare in a movie that's known as an action film. I think in this film particularly, it feels even further down the line now, where none of the women—it's about being sexy or about being a romantic interest. In fact, all of them have completely <laughs> separate. So we, know, we kept joking about like we're really not the the girlfriend type in the movies. Are quite the opposite. I don't think anyone would come near the pair of them potentially in that way. You know, that's rare. That's rare. It's been years and years and years of reading scripts where women in these kind of movies are sort of looking hot or something. They're still hot, but like a different way. You know, they don't need to like take off their clothes. Well, no, or, it's in your power. You know, it's just it's power. power that you exude. And like... they're like they have their own agency. And you mentioned the costumes. It's also reflected in the costumes, right? I mean, they they look incredible and stylish and powerful, but they're not, to my mind, they're not objectified in the way that women have been often in action films before.、Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way? No, I don't think. In, I mean, in this movie, I'm literally wearing. Like three shirts and a yeah, huge jacket、so、and a coat. Yeah, but you're so hot. It's just like completely covered. I look, I like, look you know, I look um, <laughs> very stressed. I'd say, <laughs> like frazzled is what it was. What she looks like. Hot frazzled. <laughs> hot frazzled. That's the look you're going for. What kind of conversations did you have、um, with the other cast and the crew about the fact that this is such、um, such a large amount of very interesting, complex female characters in this film, this particular film? And were there any kind of changes on set? Did you ever have conversations going, look, do you know? Maybe she would do it this way, or oh yeah, of course. It was like so much improvisation, you know. Even you know, you you watch the movie, right? Like on the train, at some point, there's a heart on the train, a window. Do you remember? I do remember that. That was、yes. my idea. I just like came up with it the day off. You know, I was like, oh, what about if I do that? And Miku was like, oh, that's a great idea. So there's like a lot of time that we were just completely free to do whatever we wanted to do. And as you said before, you know, we we do this scene over and over, and like oftentimes Miku says, oh, do whatever you want for this one, and you know, and we do that, and it's amazing to be given the freedom the freedom to do that. 
That's great because that heart scene where you know, she draws it on, in the window, I think adds a lot to her character, even though you may not have a lot of dialogue, you certainly have a lot of action, mm -hmm. but just that gesture, right? Yeah. Says something. I mean, it's all, always the contrast of, of something maybe cute, maybe loving, maybe feminine or whatever feminine means, and then completely unleashed and crazy and insane and dark and violent, you know? So it's nice to, to bring so many colors to a character. Anything that you found that you brought that was a bit different? I, lo I love your facial expressions, by the way, in this. Your nose acting alone is amazing. But is, yeah, is there anything you can't I love she does, like, the little had? nose. The nose like, thing, the little, yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's Vanessa Redgraves. Yeah. She does that. If, if, you, if anyone ever has time to go back and watch the first one in the car, mm -hmm. she says something like, I can't remember what she says, because I have watched it a thousand times. But she goes, she wrinkles her nose, so I just, I stole that. I did it once in the last one and then a couple of times. Oh, that's so so good. it's hers, I can't take credit for it. But I think it comes from also McHugh and, um, and Tom, you know, they're such gentlemen, you know, and they want to make sure that women are, are powerful and are shown in the most beautiful way, you know? The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. Vanessa, we've talked a lot about feminism and women in film in the past and your other wonderful performances. I'm interested to know whether you think your character in this would consider herself a feminist. Um, I would say so because of her mother, honestly, and because even then it was a woman at the head of this overwhelmingly dark and powerful organisation that's able to play many factions off against each other, whether it's the mob or a government or the whole of the international community as well as yeah sort of gangsters and so I think the fact that she's inherited the business not her brother I feel is, is pretty is pretty significant actually and that's why I thought the stress of that must make someone must be really tough so I wanted her to be a little bit more stressed so I made sure I had really red bloodshot eyes I got some <laughs> very like some eye drops that made them very red so I do look a bit you know frazzled yeah is the word. <laughs> What's Memories do you take away that are most precious uh, in this film, particularly, Pom? Tell me about, I mean, the action obviously must have been incredibly exciting and challenging. Are there any particularly fun moments that you take away? I mean, it was incredible to shoot this, uh, this fight scene with Tom. It was incredible to run on top of the train to do this group scene with all these crazy insane powerful characters what else you know for me it was like also the, the experience as a human being of traveling to these beautiful locations yeah it's just like always pushing myself and always learning more with very talented people for me it was the moment when we stepped back onto the set having been in covid for six months didn't know whether the cinema would ever come back either in the cinema or film sets that require everybody to be in a room together and for to be part of one of the very first movies and just walking back, seeing the crew, seeing the other actors, being together was so special, I will never forget it. And I remember thinking, I never want to ever think about a, you know, a late day or a tiring day on set. Sometimes, you know, it can be 16 hours or more. Um, my sister was an AD for a long time and I worked with her quite a lot, so I really appreciate how hard the crew work, harder than the actors, longer hours. The crew were in unbelievable on this. We were in and out, you know, whereas they were there all day, every day, all around the world during the middle of COVID. So it's the miracle, I think, of, of a cinema coming back. And now it's being released in movies and people are able to go see it. And it wasn't that long ago where that was a, an impossible mission. Any last words for the Girls on Film listeners? Go see the movie. Go see the movie. <laughs> I can't wait for them to see the women in this. I can't wait for them to see Pom in this. Be so cool. I definitely <laughs> think what she does is a, um, it's radical. Who gets to fight Tom Cruise like that and basically <laughs> nearly win, pretty yeah. much.
That was Pom Clementief and Vanessa Kirby. Finally, here's Rebecca Ferguson, who reprises her role as Ilsa Faust. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. I'd love to talk to you about how you feel your character has evolved and where she is when we see her in this one. Well, you never really know where you have Ilsa, which is something I love. It's the same thing about Ethan Hunt. You know, she's so much an equal to him which is fun because you, you get informed that she's done something that is maybe not correct and we don't know where she is or why she's doing it and we're thrown in into a big sequence and a big fighting moment. And that's kind of it from the second one, the one prior to this to, to, to where we start. Ilsa just goes about her own way. How have you personally seen the franchise evolve, particularly with regards to female characters? Because obviously there's, you're joined by some wonderful new female characters mm. in this one who we're speaking to in this very podcast. So I'm curious to know how you feel about that. I think that looking back at Kristen Scott Thomas, looking back at some of the other women in this show, they are not all dams in distress. They have managed very well to create a very sort of equal environment. There are probably bits that you can pick out which might not be in today's society, etc. But working towards something that made me feel very proud of being a part of it. And I kept on saying, I know from the other film and, and Rogue, that I never felt like a woman on set. I didn't feel like a woman around, surrounded by men. And if you look at it percentile-wise, yes, I was. And now I can realize with Haley and with Palm and Vanessa. And, but once again, I don't feel different. We all just work hard. We do our best. And we have a writer who embraces the characters that we are. It's interesting you say you don't feel like a woman on set, and that sounds... That seems like it's perhaps very distinct from how you might feel on other films sometimes or other action films. How do they manage to create, or everyone, to create that atmosphere that makes you feel comfortable and equal? I think it's a balance. I think it is. I think Tommy McHugh expects a good story, right? And they're extremely brilliant when it comes to the narrative story and, and plot, etc. They're not stupid people so they wouldn't create stupid characters and they wouldn't create a damsel in distress that serves no purpose because it wouldn't make any sense, right? So the fact that they are two kind human beings makes the process easier, you know? And then I think as a character, and I think Pom is the same and Haley and Vanessa, we're all strong-minded, intelligent human beings, you know? We have limits, we have, I mean, I can't speak for them and, and how they feel on this set compared to others, but sensing how we all felt, we felt free and safe, and there were no need to ever say no or, or stop or why, why am I doing this? Why is this scene happening? I think also in a time where equality isn't where it should be and it's getting somewhere, you can't shy away from using a voice. And I know a lot of us and a lot of women haven't known how to use it. And I can't speak for women who have felt that way. I don't know how people have been raised. I was raised with a voice and a very strong voice. And I speak for others even if they tell me to be quiet because I just do. And I'm not scared of consequences. I'm just not. I will make life work wherever I am. I am not worried. What were the moments in this film that stand out for you that you particularly cherish in the filming process? I love the intro scene. I love working with Tom. I mean, I think it's like when you watch a film, good cooking and people moving in a kitchen. I remember Tom and I often talking about that when you see like, I think there's Notting Hill, there's a moment someone makes a toast and someone else grabs it and eats it. And it's just, it links and we move very well together. We didn't have enough of that in this, in this film, but when we are together, it just, it just works. And to explore that with Isai as well, when we were doing the, um, 
sword fighting. I come back to the fighting and the stunts because it is what makes this journey so eventful. You're talking about the, the fighting. I mean, extraordinary work you do. I, I mean, I know everyone always wants to know how long did it take? How much work do you do? But yeah, can you give us some kind of insight into this kind of slog? The training process obviously took much longer, even though it was quite quick because I was thrown in. I remember learning things very fast and they were very good and I had done. So I guess it kind of molded, it worked. And the more we train for the films, the more you learn. So you remember how to hold your thumbs in, you remember little movements. So what was new now was the sword. And also it was tricky because you have to do this fight with a heavy sword for the movement of their weight. But then for safety, you can't really be fighting with a real sword. So you now have to sell the weight of a light sword. And then you have to have the CGI one, moments where you get closer to each other, what it is, uh, so you have no blade. So now you have to fight, you know, it's, it's really tricky. Those sort of moments I find very difficult. A couple of months, I think, six or six weeks, I don't know. Did you ever imagine when you started acting that you'd be doing this level of action and that, that kind of... Mission happened so early on, I was gonna say my career, but not really, it was 10, 10 years ago. I think I was just very grateful for everything that happened. And I've always been a person of, we're fighting. Okay, let's learn that then. And then you kind of, I, I grab it and I run with that stick. And then it's like, well, we're doing horse riding. Okay, let's do that then. Um, right now I'm doing a show where there's a lot of waterworks involved. So I want to regulate on a BCD. I just kind of, I have fun with it. And then there are moments when I stop and I go, my God, what have I been doing for the last 10 years? I mean, the amount I've traveled, the amount of things I've seen and, and learned. And yeah, I'm very lucky. Talk to me more about working with Tom I mean, three movies of this one. What kind of shorthand have you developed? Do you find that each time you can just, can you just one look and you know what the other one's thinking or how? Yes. My God, we have moments now on the red carpet, which I love, where it literally looks like I'm kissing his cheek or something. I'm super snuggly with him. But I think I'm literally going, I think I need to rebutton your, your shirt. So in about three seconds, I'm gonna turn around and you can just adjust a tiny little thing. We, we, you just find maneuvers around each other, which is lovely because we're like, you're kind of like siblings and yet not. It, it's, it's very familiar, it's very safe. And supporting each other through the success, you know, it's, it's great and we're fun. I did see one article saying Tom with his leading ladies um, on the red carpet, and I sort of thought, I feel it's like funny the how the journalism creates the gender equality not happen, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. Yeah, and well, that's I, I to you guys. feel slightly ashamed to be a journalist, but slightly different kind of journalist, must I say? I know. I know. Um, but yeah, how does it feel when you see that? Because for, for myself, I would I say his co-stars, right? Yeah. I mean, so it is a shame that there's still some press that's I going have that, on. But you know what? Hopefully journalists, not you, um, can get on the wagon of equality, you know, and, and find other ways of, of using phrases that make us human. We're human beings. Exactly. Know? That's all we are. Exactly. No born girls, no leading ladies, just actors, right? Yeah, or be leading ladies and be leading males and co-stars and we're all a team. It's Tom and, and his crew. Tom and his tribe, you know, I think I saw Simon up there and, and Shay and Tarzan and, you know, we're all together. I think I had one moment in an interview once where they said, and you play his, his mistress. And I thought, so you've not seen the film then, you know? It's just sort of, do you not have other relationships with people? If you have moments of connection with two people who are very equal, who save lives, who are beyond anything you could ever imagine, it doesn't have to be on a romantic level. You offer the audience things to believe, you know? It's a palette. I find it so refreshing that most of the relationships in these films now are not romantic and yes. they're about equals, as you say, um, who have a grey area, they're complex. And vulnerable um, yeah. and 
and sad and scary and, and, you know, this is what makes us so whole and so human. It's one of the things that Simon and I often talk about is, we all understand the stunts and it takes a lot to, to, to make them happen. The, the trajectory of the jump and the thing and the wind and, and I love all that. But what people don't know is the amount of conversations we have about the humanity of us, like our decisions. What do we do in our spare time? Sort of, who are we when we close the doors? Is Benji lonely, you know? Is, is Ilsa, who's her parent? You know, all of these questions. So you're all having these conversations just offset? Sometimes on set when we're doing a scene and, and McHugh is kind of rigging it and we know what's happening and uh, lines are kind of being rewritten or whatever, there's always a conversation. But if I say this, what, what am I really thinking? Is this because of this? Or, well, I don't know if it's, what do you think? And it's just an open conversation. We're talking about equality in terms of gender, which is definitely moving on, I think. Hopefully we're agreed on that. What about in terms of age? I mean, we've seen Michelle Yeoh um, triumph, obviously, at the Oscars. I and mean, Jamie Lee Curtis. Winning. Isn't that fantastic? Absolutely winning. How do you feel about the future of women over 50, 60 in the action genre? Why not? It's amazing. Tom said to me, I think I said to him once, oh, I'd like to. You know, I want to be the, sort of the Harry Potter, the kind of Narnia. I want to walk through a closet. I want to fly on the broom, you know? And I think he was like, and why not? Why are you not doing that? Why are you not making that film? And I thought, well, I can't. He goes, why can't you? And I thought, that's so him. It's constantly, why? Well, who decides? You're, you know, you're phenomenal. You get a fantastic writer. You do this and this and this, and you make it happen. You sell it, you know? And I think that's my mentality and something I've really taken from him. Everything is possible. That was Rebecca Ferguson. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 will be in cinemas on July 10th, 2023. Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio editor Nick Wassell, assistant producer Eleanor Hardy, and supported by our principal partners Vanessa Smith and Peter Brewer. I'm your host, Anna Smith. Thanks for listening. We can't save everyone. But if I don't try, I don't think I'll be able to live with myself.